Well, amen, church. Amen. I like it when we have church, don't you? Uh-oh, now you're not a quiet bunch, are you? Are you a quiet bunch? All right. Hey, uh, I appreciate that. Thank you, Miss Patricia. Choir, that was just worshipful. Thank you so much for that. And our instrumentalist, Miss Jane, I haven't had a chance to meet her. There she is over there. Thank you for letting me stay in your bed and breakfast house. I haven't had a chance to meet this lovely lady yet. I'm just going to give her a hug. Thank you so much. Uh, And I don't know who made the fudge. Um, Sunday school class put a basket together for me. And I hadn't had a chance to get over to the Sunday school class during Sunday school hour to thank you. But I appreciate that. Whoever made the fudge, I want to make a marriage proposal right now. (laughs) I already told my wife I... I'm moving to Georgia. <laughs> so, thank you so much. You guys have been so kind to me, and it has been such a blessing to be here in your church. I love your pastor and his family. Uh, now I love you too, and uh, I already had a, a love in my heart for you just listening to your pastor and our time together talk about how awesome you are and uh, how awesome it is to see God at work in, uh, in the church and in your community. And so for me to get to come and see it all, is just a real blessing. You know, there is one thing you better be careful of, though, and that is the chairman of your deacons, Ed Pope. I'm just telling you right now, just a little warning, just in case you don't know. What a great guy he is. Um, Had the privilege of meeting with your deacons and just talking through what ministry looks like in your church and your community for them. And I'm telling you, you have a great bunch of guys. Kevin was right when he told me. I didn't believe him because I didn't believe that a whole group of deacons could be godly men and good. But obviously, you set the tone for that in your church. You know I'm just teasing. But you have some great deacons in your church. Got to meet with your vision team yesterday. What an awesome group of men and women who really love the Lord. And it's just clear to me, and I keep telling your pastor, I travel a lot and consult with churches and coach a lot of leaders across the U.S., and I'm telling your pastor just constantly. He's probably getting tired of me telling him this, but I don't get to say this a lot. When I go to churches and consult with them and look at their communities, I don't get to see what God's doing in your community in a lot of places, quite honestly. God is really at work in your community and in your church. I think you are a sleeping giant in uh, Washington, Georgia. I'm telling you, God is up to some amazing things. Uh, It's pretty visible to you in your youth group and some other areas of your church. I know you already know you're blessed to have your pastor and his family here as your pastor and and how God did that. But I just, as an outsider coming in, taking a fresh look, I'm telling you, it's about to cut loose. Uh, You're going to get uncomfortable, I'm telling you, because that's what happens when God's on the move, right? When he increases and we decrease, it kind of makes us uncomfortable. We experience things that God does in our life and in the work and body of the bigger life of the church uh, that we can't control something, you know, sometimes. And uh, so just get ready to get a little uncomfortable. So if you're, if you're a low-risk person, God's about to move you, some of you, way out of your comfort zone, I'm telling you, because he is just going to do some amazing things in your town uh, and in your church. And I already see that happening. So, um, again, thank you for letting me be here. And if you would take your Bibles this morning, we want to do what the priority thing is. And that's look at God's Word together this morning. 
in 1 Peter chapter 3. <clears throat> I told the early group in worship, we're used to shoveling snow this time of year. We're not used to, to allergies acting up like mine is this morning. And uh, seeing some of you have to mow your yard already. That's just crazy. Uh, I, I like it. <laughs> it's different. I like it. And I'm learning how to change you bet you to y'all and uh, stuff like that. I think I could be a Georgian. Actually, I, I spend, uh, I probably travel to Atlanta area three or four times a year. And I love Georgia and love Georgia people. So again, thank you for letting me be here this morning. All right, First Peter chapter 3. Let me just pull verse 9 out and read it for you. And uh, then let's kind of unpack some verses around it. And, you know, when you look at the Bible, you begin to get a sense that all over the New Testament, there are some calls that the Bible records for us that are common calls to all of the body of Christ. Can you think of one? How about the Great Commission? Aren't we all called as the body of Christ to help fulfill the Great Commission? What about the Great Commandment? Isn't that a calling that is common to all the body of Christ? What about singing? No, that's not common. That's just you guys, <laughs> not me. But what about prayer? Doesn't the Bible say that as we are part of the body of Christ, that there is a call to prayer that all of us in the body of Christ are called to this thing called prayer. What about stewardship? We're all called to this thing called stewardship. To be a good manager of our life. To be a good manager of our money. To be a good manager of all that we have that God gives us. This idea of stewardship. Pastor mentioned it a while ago when he prayed. How about this call to obedience? It's a, a call that all the body of Christ shares together. A call to be obedient to the word of God, the ways and the wills of God. So we all share all of these common calls that are recorded for us in the Bible. Now certainly there are some different kinds of calls for different kinds of people. Like a pastor, your pastor experiences a different call than maybe you do. And so there are some common calls that apply to all of us. And then there are some individual or secret or different kinds of calls that the Bible talks about. Bob even talks about uh, offices and gifts and those kinds of things that relate to call and calling. But I want to show you one of these common calls here in 1 Peter. A call that applies to the body of Christ. So if you, if you ever wonder, you know what's God calling me to? It, it won't be hard for you to find. Just read the Bible and you'll see that God has called you just like he has all of us to all kinds of stuff. But right here, I want to introduce you to something that is a common call to all of us. And it's a call to bless. A call to bless. That's the title of the message this morning. And in 1 Peter chapter 3, here's what he says. I'll go ahead and start at verse 8 so it makes a little more sense to you. He says, finally, finally, he's already addressed submission uh, and some other things. He says, finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers, be tenderhearted, be courteous. Now listen to what the common call is. Not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling. Listen to what he says. But on the contrary, 
blessing, knowing that you were what? Called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. So Peter says to the church in the first century, here's the Georgia way he said it, hey, y'all called to bless. That's that's the Georgia way Peter said it. Y'all are called to bless. If you're a believer and you're a Christ follower, you all are called to bless. Now, isn't that just nice of Peter to say that to the church? Isn't that just sweet of Peter to say that to the church? Uh, uh, don't you just like to hear that in the 21st century? That's part of my common call as a Christian. I'm supposed to be blessing people. Well, what in the world does that even mean? <laughs> called to bless. Interesting word, the word bless. In the Old Testament... There is some form of the word bless used 544 times. Uh, When you think about that word bless in the Old Testament, just to give you an example of how important that word is, the word cursed is used about half as many times, 200 and something times in the Old Testament. But the word Bless is used 544 times. Some form of that word. In the New Testament, some form of the word bless is used over 50 times. So over 50 times in the New Testament, some form of the word bless is used in regard to who you and I are in receiving a blessing or in giving a blessing to somebody else. And so 1 Peter is, is writing here about our call to bless. Now, what's interesting here is, uh, is the whole context that he writes it in. Because we read it and we go, well, I, I get that. I'm called to bless. Peter, Peter said, you Christians here in the first century, you're called to bless. And man, I'm telling you, in the 21st century, I'm called to bless. But it's a hard thing to bless. Hard thing to live out that part of my common calling for the body of Christ is to just be a blessing to everybody. Because you know, Sally, I mean, Sally said some stuff about me. I ain't never forgot that. And I don't know if I can be a blessing to Sally or not. You know, because I go to high school and that, that boy over there, he didn't treat me right. And he said some. I don't know if I can be a blessing to him. Or, you know, that person I go to church with, I don't know that I can really be a blessing to them because of what? Because, you know, they just remind me of somebody. Or, you know, I just got a funny feeling when I'm around so-and-so. Well, you know, let me just bless your heart a minute. You know what was going on in Peter's day? Here's what was going on in Peter's day. Peter said, don't revile, don't return evil for evil because you're called to bless. Don't treat people the way they've been treating you. Because Peter in chapter 3, the whole book of Peter is written on the eve of severe persecution. But chapter 3 is special. Because chapter 3 is about living a godly life in the midst of persecution. And so in chapter 3, he says, in the midst of your persecution, you live a godly life. God expects you in the midst of difficulty and trouble to maintain living for him. You cannot use difficult times as an excuse to quit on God. That's what Peter's saying. You cannot use 
uncertain times to quit on God or not live a godly life. That's what Peter's saying. Now, you know what was going on in Peter's day? Nero had been blamed for burning Rome. And uh, he's going to divert that to the Christians. And so he starts a rumor that the setting fire to Rome, that the Christians did that. And all of a sudden, severe persecution breaks out in Peter's day. And, and, and these Christians are now exposed to a form of persecution that is way beyond your understanding and mine today. It is way beyond Sally saying something I didn't like. It is way beyond somebody reminds me of somebody that mistreated me. I don't know if I can be a blessing. Here's what was happening. Some Christians were being persecuted to the point where they were being put on a cross and crucified. And that's, that's bad enough. But guess what? They were the lucky ones. Because there were other Christians who were being persecuted. And uh, they were having, for sport, they were having dead animal skins freshly slaughtered and killed. The blood still dripping from the skin. Strapped to their backs. And herded into the arena like nothing And wild, hungry dogs turned loose in the arena. And smelling that blood would rip the limbs from the bodies of those believers. But if that wasn't bad enough, guess what else was going on in Peter's day? The elite of Peter's day would take Christians and dip them in tar. We would call it oil or gasoline. And they would dip them in tar. And they would hang them in the imperial gardens. And set them on fire. So they would provide a lamp. For those who were partying in the imperial garden. Can you imagine? How horrible that kind of persecution must have been. And Peter writes in the midst of crucifixion and arena games and imperial gardens where humans are a living, dead, lighted torch for people to party. And he writes in the midst of all of that and he says... That is not an excuse for you to not live a godly life. Oh, I'm strengthened when I read this. And I read it and I see what those Christians endured in their life. It strengthens me and I go, God, I am such a sissy. Now, I wouldn't advise you to call me a sissy. I am 6'5 and 300 pounds. Okay, 315. (laughs) But I read what Peter says here and I go, God, there are times when much less than that happens in my life. And I want to give up sometimes. God, there's much less than that that happens in my life. 
And there are times that I don't want to be godly. I'm ashamed when I read that, but I'm strengthened. I'm ashamed when I read it, and I remember that when I get in traffic, how easy it is to be ungodly. Right? All of a sudden, I learn sign language. Or I want to go back to an old pattern of saying words that I don't use anymore. My wife reminds me of this occasionally when she's with me. I don't let her drive. And occasionally I, I'm in the car with her and someone will pull out in front of me and I'll go, you stupid, what are you doing? She will, Jim, quit calling them stupid. And I'll say, well, they can't hear me. <laughs> and she will say, of course they cannot hear you, stupid. No, she doesn't say that. <laughs> but she will say, of course they can't hear you. But if that's the way you talk, eventually you'll say that to somebody who can hear you. And that's not the way you want to talk to people. See, i got a pretty godly wife. Obviously, you can, you can understand I married way above my station just like Alan did. Where's he at? There he is. <laughs> I told him that this morning, by the way. <laughs> so all of a sudden in the midst of this, Peter says... You know this is inspired writing because there is no way that in that kind of a culture with that kind of stuff going on that Peter would have ever said, you don't return evil for evil. You live a godly life. And one of your common callings is that you are called to bless. You're called to be a blessing. But he doesn't stop there. He even, in the verses around this common calling that we discover, he even talks to them about what a common calling of being a blessing looks like. And he gives these three practical pictures of what it looks like to be called to bless. They're so practical. They're so relevant for us. Here's the first one. He says, if you're called to bless, here's what it looks like. You're called to bless in your loving. In your loving. That's practical, isn't it? Doesn't that make biblical sense? In verse 8, here's what he says. Finally, all of you, be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers. Be tenderhearted. Be courteous. He says, if you want to work out your call to be a blessing as a Christian... And fulfill what it looks like to live a godly life. You better learn how to love people. That sounds easy, doesn't it? In fact, he, he even gives more practical advice about what that even looks like. He says, you, you treat them like a, like a brother, right? So he says, if you're going to love people, here's how you love people. You treat people like they're family. That's one thing I love about Southern hospitality is that Southern hospitality says that we don't treat you like family. Man, you come in, we offer you some sweet tea, right? In Sioux Falls, our house might be the only house that offers sweet tea. I don't know. We've turned more kids on to sweet tea and have more addicts of sweet tea among our youth than we can count in South Dakota. It's terrible. <laughs> I'm serious. You think that's funny, but I'm serious. And, you treat them like family. 
Now you've got to be careful when I say that because I'm reminded that everybody doesn't grow up in a good functional family. Maybe you grew up in a family like mine. I'm number 10 of 11 kids. And uh, it looks like I ate nine of them, but I'm, I'm number 10 of 11 kids. I grew up in a little town about like this in southern Illinois called Harrisburg. Anybody know where that's at? Uh, Marion, Carbondale, that area down toward Paducah. It's in that area there. Uh, and we were a poor family. We had horses, and they ate better than we did. And, uh, but we didn't know we were poor, you know, so it was okay. And I grew up with six sisters, Alan. You ought to pray for me and bless me now. I mean, I am, in the Catholic Church, I'd be considered a saint. They'd call me Saint Jim. Yeah. Six sisters. You know how hard that is? With one bathroom and an old house your daddy built. Didn't have a tub, we just had an old walk-in shower. And it wasn't like walk-in, I mean it was just a place in the corner. You kind of went to the water thing and it came on, you know. Six sisters. I had ones, they were all beautiful. Of course, they looked like me. They were all beautiful. <laughs> and all the boys in our town was always in our house. I was, they hated me because I was a whistleblower. <laughs> I tell them. I'm number 10. Lyndall, my youngest brother's number 11. We're not sure. He, he may be the milkman's or something. We're not quite sure about him. But, <laughs> but uh, I would tell a Pat. Patty Ann is my sister closest to my age. And uh, uh, Marty, Martha. And, I, uh, you know, they'd be down at the barn or something with some boys. And I'd go in and say, well, I wonder where Marty and Pat's at, Mama. I think they're down at the barn with Bobby and Johnny. That's all it took, you know, for get something going at our house. And I'd just stand back and watch it and go, woo-hoo. See, we didn't have much TV. We had to, had to do something to have fun, you know. And uh, so Patty would whoop me. I mean, she could whoop. She was a tomboy. She was cute, and boys liked her, but she was a tomboy. She, you know, she could basketball with the best of them. And she would whoop me. I mean, stop. Do you know how embarrassing it is for a boy to have his sister to be able to beat him up? Can any of you men say amen? I mean, it was embarrassing. Because... When I'd, when I'd play with all my neighborhood friends and we'd get in a little scuffle or something and I'd poke my little skinny chest out, i go, what'd you say to me? they go, oh, really? Really? I mean, Pat beats you up. Get out of my face. I mean, that's how it was when I grew up until I turned about 12. And all of a sudden, I got tired of my sister beating me up almost daily. I'm not kidding you, almost daily. She she smacked me around or beat me up a little bit. I told you it's a dysfunctional family. And all of a sudden, I got tired of it one day. I picked up a two before, had a nail in the end of it, ran around the house seven times, and the house fell down. No, it didn't, but I, that's a, I'm embellishing that story a little. But I did run her around the house a couple of times, and she ran right through the back screen door. We weren't too poor because we had screen in the door. So she ran right through the screen door. Last time she ever beat me up was right there. That got respect in my neighborhood. I'm telling you right now. Yeah. So I have to be careful when I say that our calling to bless means that we learn how to love. We bless in our loving people. 
And when we love people, we treat them like family. But it may not be the way you were brought up in your family. In other words, if you come to my house, I'm not going to beat you up or run you around the house with a two-before. I'm going to say, come on in. How you doing? But, you know, if I meet you at the store, I need to be able to say, hey, can I open that door for you? You see, we need to learn to treat each other like family. And he even goes beyond that in this verse. In verse 8, he says, love his brothers, right? Treat each other like family. Be tenderhearted. The word there, we could translate it sympathetic. It means have a little sensitivity that when you meet people, let God make your spirit sensitive to who they are, what they're going through what their needs are, because you might be the very one that God put in their path that can make a difference in their life. There's no better love demonstrated except for dying for somebody, which is what Romans 5, 8 says, that God loves us. He demonstrated that love. Christ died for us. But there's no better demonstration than dying than involving yourself in helping somebody in some way that is special to them. Be sympathetic to people. I don't know why, but we church people seem to be either legalistic and judgmental or liberal, the other side of the coin. You know, we need to stop looking at people and saying things like, you know, they made their bed, let them lie in it. You know, we need to stop that. We need to to stop looking at people and making judgments because of a socioeconomic situation or a sinful situation or whatever else and look at them with sympathy and be sympathetic and say to God, God, except for the grace you give, there go I. Except for your grace, there go I. Oh God, I could be there too. I could be that single dad. I could be that single mom. I could be in that financial situation. I could be in that battle. Thank you, God, I'm not. But how can I help those who are? And so to love people means that you treat them like family. You're sympathetic and be friendly and kind. That's what he says in that word in verse 8, courteous. That's what it means. In the Greek, it means just simple friendship, just being friendly with people. Just when you meet somebody, being friendly. I told this in the early service. It really is a shame not long ago. I was uh, at a, a, a little uh, place, and, and I saw this gentleman. I think they were from India. Uh, he was helping his dad get out of the passenger side of their car. Looked like maybe his dad had had a stroke or something recently. had a cane, and he had his arm, and he was helping him. And his dad was having a hard time just getting his leg up on the curb, just, a, just you know, that six-inch curb. And I noticed it, and I got out of my car, and uh, I got no T-shirt on, jeans, so I, you know, when I'm dressed like that, I don't look like I'm going to help anybody, you know. And so I got to the door, and I thought, man, that guy's having a hard time. I just waited at the door for a minute, and uh, a, a literal minute, and finally he got him up on the curb, and he got to the door, and I opened the door for him. That's, that ought to be normal, right? Just open the door for him. He was shocked. He was surprised that someone would would just give enough time and attention to open the door for him to get his daddy in there, taking his daddy to lunch. He was shocked at that. Is that where we've come to in our society? That the smallest of 
of things that we do out of courtesy, that those small things like that are unexpected by people, that people are shocked? Is that where we've come to in our culture? That when we do something that is friendly, that is courteous, people are like, whoa, thank you. Isn't there something wrong with that not being the norm with Christians? The norm for Christians, if we really, because we say we love, but if we really love the norm, ought to be doing what we see we can do. And it ought to be the pattern of our life. And Peter says, that's how you work out your calling. To bless others that is common to all of us. You do it in your loving. But Peter also says, secondly, that you do it in your speaking. Verse 10. Here's what he says. He who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil. And his lips from speaking deceit. So, here's all the stuff going on in Peter's day. And these Christians before and after he writes this are exposed to severe persecution. And Peter is saying, you don't return evil for evil because that is not an excuse to not live a godly life. In fact, at the core of living a godly life is working out our common calling And we are called to bless. And the practical way to work out that call to bless is in our loving. And it is in our speaking. And Peter says in verse 10 that we're to refrain our tongue from evil and our lips from speaking deceit. But it's really important what Peter says just before that. Obviously, he's quoting an Old Testament passage right here. And Peter is saying... It's a play on words when he says, and see good days. He he who would love life and see good days. He who would love life. It's a play on words from the Old Testament. Here's what Peter's saying. If you didn't study this passage, you, you would just go by it. It's so important. Here's what Peter's saying in verse 10. He who would love life, play on words. You ready? Here's what he's saying. He who would love the life he's living, and there's only one life. As Christians, we know we've experienced it. We know there's only one life we love. We know there's only one life worth living. And that's the life we have in Christ. The other life we were living, we know is not worth living. We know what it's filled with. It's filled with heartache and shame and guilt. And sin and trouble. And it doesn't mean that our life with Christ isn't filled with some of those things. But it means that he he, uh, takes care of all of those things for us. He's our answer to those things. And he says, listen, he who would love life. Those of us who are Christians know that there's only one life worth living. And that's the life we have in Christ. And because we have life in Christ... We need to act like Christians. And Christians don't speak to people with deceit. That's what he's saying. We don't speak to people we, from an evil perspective. We refrain our tongue. So 
What's more important than Lisa saying to me in the car, Jim, quit calling people stupid. And in your mind, maybe worse. It's more important that the Holy Spirit says that to me than my wife, Lisa. Because eventually, I'll call somebody stupid. And quite honestly, I have. (laughs) And didn't feel bad about it until later because I really didn't see the ramifications of that. But what what if you say to somebody, you know, you just know good. What if you said that to somebody? What if you just look somebody now and say, you know, you're just no good. And that made you feel better. And you didn't know that they were having self-esteem issues. And you didn't know they were feeling valueless. And you didn't know that's what their mama and papa said to them their whole life. And you didn't know that's what kept the baggage aboard in their life. And you didn't know, you didn't know, and you didn't know. And you might not know how destructive that is to the person that you said, you know, you're just no good. You didn't know, right? So he says, you act like a Christian. You learn how to control your tongue. You see, in our common calling, we all have some common things we need to check, right? That we need to work on in our loving and in our speaking. So really what Peter's saying is, you need to be careful that you don't use words as a weapon to try to do evil for evil because that's not what living a godly life looks like. Peter's saying, you need to learn how to love people if you're going to be called to bless and work that calling out in your life. And you need to control the way you speak because called to bless means that you work that out in the way you talk to people, right? In the way you talk to people. Here's the last one. He says, not only in our loving, in our speaking, but also in our doing. Here's what he says. <clears throat> in, uh, look at verse 11. He says, let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. So what's Peter saying? He's saying, Listen, you have a choice to do evil or good. It's your choice. It's up to you. You're not a puppet on a string for God. God has given you some guidelines. He's given you a road map. He's given you some principles. He's given you the Holy Spirit to be your guide and your convictor and all these other roles that he plays in your heart and life. But ultimately, it's your choice. You can do good or you can do evil. But if you're going to live a godly life, you're going to have to you're going to have to learn that the pattern of your life needs to reflect doing good. Now, does that mean we're all perfect doing good in our doing? Or does that mean that we're, we're all perfect in our speaking? Does that mean we're all perfect in our loving? Absolutely not. But what Peter's saying is that our life in a general pattern, even though we're going to blow it from time to time, we ought to learn from blowing it and we ought to get better. We're not going to be sinless, but we ought to be learning how to sin less. Shouldn't we? And so Peter's saying, you're not going to be perfect in your practice. Your practice is still going to be sinful sometimes. But because you are perfect in your position, you're a sinner and you're a saint when you're in Christ. And God is at work transforming you in the transformation gap between practice and position. That you're going to get better at your loving if you work on it. You're going to get better at your speaking. You're going to get better at your doing. And your doing is going to look more like service to God. It's going to look more like helping people instead of hurting people. It's going to look like you're in the ball game instead of on the sideline. And so he says, in your doing. So 
Let him turn away from evil and do good. He's talking about good works. Now, obviously, he's talking to people who are already Christians. So he's not talking about good works in the context of salvation. He's talking about, he's talking about good works in the context of sanctification. Of the process of maturity. That as we mature in Christ, we learn to serve him in ways that are helpful to the kingdom of God. And that's part of what practical, uh, the practical application of being called to bless. We are his servants. Now, it's interesting because um, we'll kind of wrap it up here. In, in, um, in, in this verse, he talks about why and how. Look at verse 12. Here's why that we ought to, in our loving, in our speaking, and in our doing, we ought to flesh that out, this call to bless. Here's why. Because the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. So why should we be working this call to bless out in our life? Because God's watching. That's why. In other words, he's saying God expects it. God is telling you to live a godly life. He's Here's what it looks like to live a godly life. You don't return evil for evil. Instead, you bless. And the way you bless is in your loving and in your speaking and in your doing. And uh, God expects that out of you. God is watching. And he says, you know what? There are consequences when you don't. That's what he says. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. If you want the favor of God on your life, if you want the blessing of God on your life as a child of God, then you need to learn how to be obedient to God. And it, when, when we're not obedient, it affects our maturity. It doesn't affect our salvation, but it affects our sanctification. It affects our maturity. It affects the favor of God in so many different ways. And I'm certainly not a prosperity preacher. Uh, and I'm not saying that when we obey God that we prosper. When we don't, we don't prosper. But there is some truth to that. And so... Here's, a, here's the last part that's so encouraging to me. Because I know what some of you are thinking. Well, old Billy Bob. I mean, I could, I could be a blessing, work that loving, speaking, doing stuff out in my life. But old Billy Bob, I thought, uh-huh, just no way, man. Not that boy. Whoa, Lucinda. Uh-uh. No. No. You know what just happened in South Dakota in a little town? I don't, I'm not sure they've ever even had a murder there. A guy in his 70s, I think he's 75, a guy in his 70s recently, just last month or so, opened, uh, knocked on the door of a, a guy he went to high school with, grew up in the same town with. He's a retired teacher. When the, when the man opened the door, he had a gun, pistol. He raised it, shot him in the head and killed him right there in his own house. He went to another house with another retired teacher. And the man wasn't home. What happened was that they found out that this old boy, all three of these guys went to high school together. And for all these 60 years, he had been carrying a grudge about something that happened in high school. And in his 70s, he couldn't take it anymore. He knocked on the door and killed him. Isn't that sad? 
That's just sad. But you know what? There are people in your life and mine, maybe, that when we think about, we kill them in our mind every time we think about them. Maybe it was an abuser. Maybe it was a bad parent. Maybe it was a sibling or a relationship gone wrong. Maybe it was a boss created havoc in hell. But it's somebody, and every time we think about them, we just kill them over and over and over in our mind. And what the Bible teaches us is that if you think you can't turn loose of that and even work out your calling that looks like loving, speaking, and doing even to those people, just know here's the verse that speaks to it. And his, talking about God, his ears are open to their prayers. You know what that says? When you cannot work out your calling in your own strength to be a blessing to other people, if you'll ask God, he will help you to do that. He will help you to turn loose of that stuff. He'll help you to get beyond that baggage. He'll help you to turn that hate into like and then eventually love. God will help you in your loving people when you can't love them. He will help you control your tongue when you don't want to speak well of people. He will help you do good works and serve him if you will just ask him. Just ask him. As we close today, here's the, here's the most important part maybe for some of you where he said in that verse we read in verse 9 but on the contrary blessing knowing that you were called to this that you may inherit a blessing he's not saying that if you bless people that you'll get eternal life he's just saying that you will live a blessed life when you bless people but let me ask you this today are are you positioned to inherit the greatest blessing you could ever receive? Let me tell you what that blessing is. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. I'm sure you know the gospel, but let me remind you, the Bible's so clear, so very clear, that God loves us and that there's nothing we can do to repair a relationship that's gone bad in the Garden of Eden way before us, a relationship called sin. There's nothing we can do to repair that. There's nothing we can do to become part of the family of God. God has to do it, and he already did. He loves us, and Romans 5, 8 says that he demonstrated that love. Christ died for us. And so the greatest blessing you could ever receive would be to say, you know I'm ready to invite Jesus Christ to be the Savior and the boss, the Lord, the boss of my life, to take control of my life. Doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. It just means that when you get a perfect position with Him, your sinful practice begins to look a little different. And God begins to transform you. Because now you don't just have your identity, you have His too. And now you are complete in life. For the first time. So maybe today. The best blessing for you. 
is to just say yes to Jesus. Pastor will be here in a minute. And uh, all you got to do is just to walk down here and talk to him about it. And he'll, he'll talk with you more. Maybe you came with a friend this morning. Just turn to them and say, hey, man, I want to invite Jesus into my heart and life. I'm sure they'll help you to do that right where you're sitting. I, I don't know, Preacher Jim, I, I don't know if I can do that today. Let me tell you, friend, you better think about doing it pretty quickly. God loves you. He's just died on the cross for your sin, and he's just waiting for you to say yes. He already said yes to you when he died. He's just waiting for you to say yes. For most of us in here this morning, I would imagine that applying what Peter said would be for us to say, God, thank you. This morning you have helped me see that I need a little work in my loving. I need a little work in my loving, God. Or maybe it's not that one. Maybe you're, you're going to say, God, thank you. Because your word has helped me see that this morning I need a, a little work in my speaking. I need a little work in my speaking, God. Maybe it's not that. Maybe you're here this morning and you're going to say, God, thank you. Because I need a little work in my doing. I need a little work in my doing, Lord. But most of all, whether it's in your loving, in your speaking, or in your doing, or some combination, or even all three. The main thing, in a minute when we bow our heads, is for you just to say, God, would you help me? Because the Bible promises that he will. And I believe his promises. Would you bow with me this morning? Father, you are an awesome God. Thank you for our time together today. Thank you for your word, how it just comes into our mind, takes root in our heart, and changes our life. And this morning we confess to you, we are are just not who we need to be. But God, we would ask you to help us to become the person you have planned for us to be. God, would you be at work in our loving others and in the way we speak to others and in the way we help and serve you by serving others. And God, we lift that person or persons up this morning who just need to invite Jesus and say yes to him. God, give them strength today to do that. We praise your holy name. Amen and amen.